From the offices of Cocktail Collective Australia, this is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favourite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they should be used. Are you ready to understand exactly what's in your glass? Or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. Today we're talking with Mark Ward, the founder of Australian Vermouth Range, Regal Rogue, who is presently in Los Angeles, about their bold red expression. Thank you for joining us, Mark. My pleasure. Lovely to be talking. It's a fortified wine, but often we treat it like a liquor. Can you explain what makes vermouth unique? Yeah, there's a couple of elements, really. Um, Vermouth is a marriage of wine with uh, herbs and spices, as we call them, aromatics. And the fundamental elements that make it unique between each brand is the base wine, the aromatic makeup, so the blend of aromatics that have been put together, um, and then the treatment of either the wine, so you might age the wine in wood on the way in, or you might rest the vermouth in wood on the way out. And then any added um, flavours or, um, or sweeteners, which traditional European styles are quite renowned for adding caramel. Um, whereas for us, as Regal Rogue is a new world style, we are 100% Australian wine with native Australian herbs and spices. And then we have no wood ageing or artificial colours or sweeteners or flavours. So um, all those components do contribute to very unique recipes and styles across each brand. What makes Regal Rogue different from the French or Italian vermouths that we're so used to? Um, Well, fundamentally, um, we have on average 40% less sugar than traditional European styles. We use um, wines from celebrated regions of Australia. So with the white, we have a Hunter Valley Semillon. With the Daring Dry, we have an Adelaide Hills um, Savion Blanc. We, with the Bold Red, as you described at the beginning, we have a Barossa Valley Shiraz. So we're taking celebrated wine varietals from celebrated regions, and then we actually build the, uh, have built the aromatic um, blend around the wine. So in the instance of the Bold Red, it was all about this natural spice of Shiraz um, and peppery notes then married through with native Australian wattle seed, pepperberry, native thyme into cinnamon, starnies, clove, nutmeg, ginger, uh, dried fig, dried cherry, and bitter orange. But we don't add caramel. So with the red, as a comparison to a martini or Cinzano or a European style, we have 50% less sugar. So you actually really taste the wine notes um, and those complementary aromatics rather than sort of a complexity of sweetness. Now, South Australia has a strong wine tradition, but for a while there, vermouth went out of favour. What made you think to start Regal Rogue in 2011? (laughs) Um, Well, the idea started in 2008. Um, I had launched Hendrix Gin into the market in 2005, and um, and I'd been involved in the spirits industry uh, and the bar industry for a number of years, and um, and just kind of thought that after doing gin for three years, you know that gin was busy, <laughs> uh, 
little did I know that that was really just the beginning of the gin category. And me being me, I just wanted to do something that was really different. Vermouth was in decline. We had this abundance of wine in Australia. Uh, and I had come across the native aromatics um, previously from a guy called Vic Cherikov when I was working with Luke Mangan. And um, I just started blending these aromatics with vodka to make a you know really bad homemade gin. And then I started doing it with wine. And I traditionally drink probably lower alcohol products. So, you know, more of a, a wine person over spirits traditionally. And just thought it'd be really interesting to put an Australian vermouth on the map again. Uh, and Goves were the last brand that we knew of who um, discontinued in the 90s. Um, so it had been nearly 20 years since a, a brand had been in the market as an Australian style. And it went from there, and it was a passion project, really, that I threw out the door in 2011. And, and then it sort of gained traction with Selfridges in the UK um, when I went around the world in 2013 to show a few people. And um, it's grown from there. And I think there are something like 12 now Australian brands in the market. There's some New Zealand brands coming through. And so we've, we've kind of seen this, this whole category erupt um, and pretty much where you see uh, wine now anywhere around the world, you will find that there's probably a local or craft vermouth brand being made. How important are native ingredients? Oh, God, so important. They're, they're probably, you know, up there with the wine. It's, I've been approached a few times because we're in seven markets around the world now. And at times people have said, well, why don't you just make it with English wine? And, and you know, and, you know, what, what, what is this lemon myrtle? It's like, well, no, you can't really do that. It's an Australian vermouth. So the idea is Australian wine with Australian herbs. Um, the, in each varietal, um, and just going back to the bold red because you picked up on it, the lead aromatics in that varietal are native pepperberry, native wattle seed, and native thyme. So they are the, the most important herbs in that um, varietal. Um, and in July this year, we moved to 100% organic wine as a base. Um, so with our lack of sugar, organic wine, the native aromatics and no wood aging will be at the, the highest place we can be with our liquid as an everyday drinking vermouth. Now, you were talking about the herbs and fruits that were in the bold red what sort of flavor does that give the vermouth uh each varietal um in the regal rogue portfolio or family were were built off of very simple flavor descriptors so in the bold red it's all about aromatic spice and dried fruit and the reason for that um was so that people really could connect with something that they already understand and the reason that was so important was because vermouth was so misunderstood. And you touched on this at the beginning. I mean, you know, no matter what distributor we work with around the world or who we talk to on retail, um, you know, people still think that vermouth is a spirit. I mean, it's, you know, 75% wine. It's fortified with a, a grape spirit or a neutral spirit by about, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, 5%. Um, so you might end up with 80% of the bottle being um, fortified wine, but 75% of that is the wine. So it, it, it's a wine product, um, and mm. all vermouth will turn. It will oxidize. Once you open it and you ex um, expose the liquid to the air, it will oxidize at some point. 
And, right. you know, most most brands, you know, the old traditional brands, we call them the heritage brands, but the, you know, the sort of legacy heritage brands, if you go into dusty pubs in, say, the UK or even Europe or, you know, maybe Australia, they're on the back bar and they're looking a little bit orange because they've essentially oxidized. So there's another education piece about storing vermouth in the fridge. Um, and as an example, we have a date square on the back of our bottle that is where you can write when you opened the product. So it reminds you that you've got about two months before it will start to turn. And we've come together with various brands around the world to just align on that message that when you open vermouth, you've got about two months before the, it will start to evolve. Most people understand the three main uh, vermouth styles, the Rosso, um, the Dry and the Blanc. Yet with Regal Rogue, you've almost expanded those categories. How important was it to push beyond the standard sweet and dry? Very important to me. And I always say this to everybody when you know I'm doing a talk or talking to groups of people, that whenever you look at a brand, whether it's even a car, but fundamentally liquid, shall we say, just, you know, if, you, if it doesn't connect with you, it doesn't matter. But the, everything is put in place based on the palate or taste or positioning an idea that that person had at that time. So for me, the reasoning behind doing four styles was to represent four key wine styles and show an example of a dry white, a, a full-bodied white, uh, a red, and then a rosé. And, you know, we still have plans to do an orange um, vermouth or some unique, you know, wines that aren't widely available, but we'll just do them as limited editions to keep pushing the boundary on what wines are available in the market because vermouth is a wine-based product. So it should represent wine and, and, and you know, those stars, I believe. And that's really why we came into the market um, with four different stars. Now, looking at the at the bold red specifically, uh, most people would assume it was a sweet, but it's actually a dry vermouth. Mm. Do you find that people find that a little bit confusing? Hundred percent. You just had to say, look, this has got fifty percent less sugar. There's no caramel, and there's no wood aging. So, as a point of difference against sweet red vermouth that you might think of. This is all about a Shiraz-based wine with these herbs and spices giving you an aromatic spice and dried fruit makeup. But you can go heavy on the bold red in a cocktail rather than, say, light when you're using something like Pintamesa or Antica formula. And the way that I always describe it, um, you know, I had one guy, a very educated guy in the industry in the UK, say, oh, I'm just... I'm not really into your old red because it doesn't compare to Punta Mesa Antica formula. And I said, that's basically like comparing lager to Guinness. Um, and if you understand that there's a point of difference, then you can use them in very different ways. In the same way that you might use Tanqueray 10 against, say, Bombay Sapphire or Hendrix in very different ways. They're still all gin, but they've got very unique styles. And that's really what we're trying to bring to the market. We are a red vermouth, but we are a dry red. Um, and that's, that's what's unique to us as an Australian product. Now, when people are using a dry red at home, would they use it the same way that they would typically use a dry vermouth? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, let's pick on the Negroni because uh, it's, you know, such a popular cocktail. But 
within a groni, we find that you you can actually taste um, you taste more of the the components of Campari uh, and the gin by using the bold red in a Negroni over something that might have a lot more complexity and depth to it. Um, and you know, I'm not pointing out that any we're better than anyone or any other product is better than us. We're just different, and and that's really the education piece that we're trying to drive as a brand. That you know, this is why it's different, and then hopefully people will like it. And if they don't like it, that's totally fine because there's so many other products in the market. But it also mm. lends itself to over ice with a you know a piece of fig or a bit of chocolate. Um, so more of a, a sipping style, or long with ginger beer, um, to make it more of a, a low alcohol aperitif. So you know, if you put antique formula or pintamess in it with ginger beer. Yes, I'm sure it would be drinkable, but it would be a very different flavor profile. Whereas with us, it's a little bit easier because of the style of vermouth that it is. Now, when you were talking about the Negroni, Negroni typically uses a sweet vermouth. So would you be using the bold red as a sweet vermouth or a dry vermouth, even though it is um, well, dry? It, it is a dry, um, a, a dry, semi-dry by sugar um, level. Um, so we would still be using it as a, as a dry style, but it's just the fact that you're changing out the traditional sweet red and saying, well, this is just a dry red. Um, but right. what we also find, is, and this is really interesting, that the bold red has 80 grams of sugar per liter, and most sweet mm. red vermouths have about 160 to 200 grams of sugar per liter. The wild rosé has 70 grams of sugar per liter. But because we use fruit herbs leading it, like strawberry gum, rosella, and Illawarra plum, you it's actually got a sweeter profile to the bold red. So it actually, the rosé stands up against Campari and gin, I think, in a slightly more interesting way in a Negroni as a rosé Negroni. And so now, you know, from our messaging when we started being Australian wine, Australian herbs and spices, now nearly 90% of the time that we're talking about the brand, we always relate to the sugar um, because people ask, especially in the US. It's a big, big thing over here. Um, what is the calorie of the drink? Obviously, which, you know, the sugar component contributes to that. And then also mm. the alcohol level. So we've just gone live um, on Virgin Atlantic as the first ever low alcohol drink offering on their menu. Um so that they can have something more mindfulness and, and well-being led, but whilst being at 35,000 feet. And our alcohol and our sugar um, is a big component of that. And we're finding that on certain menus now, it might say, Regal Rogue, this sugar on the menu or that serve with this level of alcohol as a guide. So brands like Seedlip that we work with on the Virgin Atlantic deal are so popular because people's way, uh, the way people are consuming alcohol is changing uh, quite quickly. Doing things in a different way. Are they companies that you want to work with more? 100%. Um, like I met Ben before Seedlip was developed um, and thought he had a really interesting idea. He obviously then launched and it's been a, an amazing success. But Ben was smart enough to realise that if all he was ever talking about was no alcohol, um, then you're kind of restricting yourself to only people that didn't want to drink. Um, and yeah. so he launched the gl global initiative called No Low, 
Um, and we partnered with him with Virgin because we were already doing things with Virgin Atlantic. And they, for social responsibility for passengers and for the aviation um, association, sort of say, look, we are working with our passengers so that we can reduce consumption at the airport and on the plane for, you know, um, for obvious reasons. Um, we came together and said, well, let's do this. It's the first ever initiative of its kind. And it was a huge success when it launched in January. But Ben um, continues to drive now no and low as a more global message. Um, and we would love to continue working with brands like that because I think it is one of those areas or categories, should we call it, that, that is growing rapidly. Um, and although, you know, some people don't drink, so Seedlip and what they do with their drinks gives someone really exciting uh, options. The You know, there are people that still want to have a drink, but they don't want such strong alcohol. So, you know, any partnerships like that uh, are really interesting, and especially if you can do it. So say we partner with the, a brand like Seedlip, but then you have a, a commercial partner like Virgin who are willing to get behind it, that just kind of ticks all the boxes um, mm. because then you get such great exposure for all the effort that's put in. So, yeah, we're, we're continuing to look at options like that in the same way that we want to work with hotels, with, you know, sort of pools where you've got daytime drinking and have these low alcohol options as well. And um, Virgin Australia are going to go live with the um, low alcohol serves that we did for Virgin Atlantic as an extension of what Virgin Atlantic did. So hopefully it just keeps growing and expanding and we're definitely tapping on the door with SpaceX to see if we can get a serve on there. So as you know, gravity um, reduces, maybe the alcohol consumption reduces. <laughs> right. So how do you think that that change is going to affect traditional cocktails i think um and this is obviously all personal it's my personal view it's not necessarily me saying this is what is going to happen but i think you'll just find that you know the likes of vermouth in a cocktail will start being more evenly balanced in the drink whereas when i was a bartender from 2002 to the late you know sort of 2008 10 9 10 you know you really only ever um, put a, a, a you know a dash of vermouth, or when we were making martinis back then, you'd stir the vermouth and flick it down the drain. <laughs> um, mm. Whereas one of the popular martinis that we serve globally is the wet martini using one to one of the daring dry with vodka or gin. So I think see that vermouth or modifiers like vermouth that are low alcohol will start becoming more of a balanced ingredient against the spirit. And I don't think that trend is going anywhere. I think that's just going to get more and more popular because, you know, we all live a different lifestyle now. And, you know, the, the sort of mid-20-year-olds that we talk to are sort of telling us it's not cool to be wasted. Whereas when I grew up, it was really cool to be wasted. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, um, I think that that trend piece will change and grow a lot more. And it's not very faddy. You know, molecular mixology was amazing and it's clever, but it, it was quite faddy and tricky for anyone to repl replicate. Whereas yes, the home yeah. bartender can make a balanced martini or make a Regal Rogan um, old red and ginger, dry, uh, ginger beer at home quite easily because it's just like a gin and tonic. So I think that will keep growing and evolving and we'll see more of that balance on menus and in drinks. Okay. And 
I mean, other than the martini and the Negroni, which we've mentioned, what other cocktails do you believe that the bold red works really well in? It works really well cocktail-wise in a Boulevardier one-to-one, in a Martinez one-to-one, in a Manhattan one-to-one. So anywhere where you do find um, red vermouth as a on a sweet style, just uh, as an equal balance, um, just bringing in the bold red instead of a, a sweet style. And we, we see that work everywhere. But one of my favorites is just the bold red sour. So using the bold red, uh, a double measure with 30 mils of lemon juice, a dash of sugar syrup, a little bit of cherry bitters, and doing it like that instead of um, a, a whiskey or bourbon. And that's just a lovely low ABV offering build, built on the foundation of the bold red as the base. Vermouth is doing what gin has already just done and expanding its flavor palette and expanding its its nature, I suppose. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, uh, having been in this industry for the, this long, you know, if I thought that gin was busy in 2006 stroke seven when we launched Hendrix and, and look where it went, um, then we've still got a very long way for vermouth to evolve and, and grow um, as a category. Mm. And I think we're only really just on the on the tip of that growth curve. You know, they're, they're, there's a number of good brands in the category, but I think there are a number of more brands coming through that might be more aligned with lack of sugar or, you know, no wood aging. So it's just about the wine and the herbs. Um, so more in line with, say, us. Um, yeah. Or there might be other brands that are all about the aging and age in different styles of wood. Um, to have a point of difference against these heritage brands. So I think, yeah, I, I'd like to think that we're doing the right thing and seeing it evolve and grow and, and hope that, you know, with that comes the growth like gin has seen. It seems as if drinkers are suddenly discovering the charms of, of the aperitif. I'm going to answer this in two ways. I think it will continue to expand and I think aperitif will have a, as big a presence as classic cocktails on menus moving forward uh, or aperitif-style drinks. But mm. this, um, all this talk about speeding up the ageing of whiskey in the last few weeks, um, where they, they've got some technology where, you, you know, instead of ageing it for three years, they can actually achieve that in a couple of months through the technology they've got. Yes. I think, you know, there will still be a place to walk into a bar and say, I would like, you know, um, you know, let's say Shivers 25 as a properly rested 25-year-old whiskey or blends of rather than something mm. that might be sort of a 25, but it was aged in three months. I think it will just increase the offering um, and choice for people to have. Um you know, and some things definitely won't have a place. You know, they'll just sort of fizzle out. Um, but I can't see aperitifs going anywhere. Um, I think it's a lovely offering of pre-dinner or in the garden around the romance of an aperitif and aperitivo. But I think aperitifs on menus will be as popular as, you know, classic things like the martini and mojitos and daiquiris, etc. Right. Okay. It seems that all of your key messages are things that didn't exist back in 2010. The low yeah. alcohol, the sugar, none of those things were things people particularly cared about, and yet they were things yeah. that you got behind. And interestingly enough, it is the way it went. I know. that's just. I think that's, that's what they call luck. 
I was talking <laughs> to someone today and he said, you know, in this industry, it's so hard to make a brand survive. He said, but there's such an incredible, incredible amount of luck at times. Um, and I think it's just that, like, you know, the, those messages and that structure is coming into its own. Because if I wasn't that, we probably would have fizzled out and become a lovely project that just didn't maybe survive or didn't carry on. But we do have that. And that, that's really what's holding our strength for now and, and hopefully the future. That must have been an amazing risk. Um, it was. And I think my ambition was very naive. Um, I think I'd got to a point in my career where I'd had so many beautiful moments with, you know, launching Hendrix Gin and all the other brands that I was involved in launching and, you know, working and managing Sydney Opera House for New Eve on a number of years and working with celebrated chefs like Luke Mangan and Pete Evans. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do my own brand and turn it all upside down. But I never, ever thought it would be that long a journey and, and that much of a personal sacrifice to keep it going. And, um, mm. and also vermouth, you know. I mean, if I'd done a gin, I'd probably be somewhere else right now. Yes. Um, but, it, you know, it's something that I've stood by. And, and we, you know, we, as I said, we were the first in the market, but we were joined very quickly by Maiden Eye and, and um, Bystander, Innocent um, Bystander with Causes and Cures. And there are other brands coming through. So we, we all started propping up and developing the category quite quickly. But you, you kind yeah. of have no understanding or appreciation for how hard it is to get a person in a town to buy that bottle repeatedly every month. Or yes. get a bar to, to say, okay, we'll swap it out for this product that is half the price of yours, um, that we've got a, you know, got a, a, a long-standing agreement with because we want to try something different. But you just have to do it one person at a time and one bar at a time and one retailer at a time. And eventually it grows. And we're at such a point now globally where – you know, even your work, this podcast, you can put it online and reach thousands of people, whereas in the past, people would be listening to probably things like this on the radio, but local radio. Yes. So it's easier to reach people with an idea. Um, but even to this day, you know, we, we had a, a huge spike in sales in Australia last week. And we're like, oh, my God, we might run out of stock before we actually bottle our next bottling if we're not careful. So you kind of constantly juggle as a small craft brand that's growing um, and in, in a multiple market, you constantly juggle managing, having supply around, you know, when the wine harvest comes back around and, you know, and on top of that, making sure that, you know, the right terms are in place to, to grow as a brand. And yeah. It's been a, a, a you mm. know, horrendously amazing journey. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I'm, I imagine there's a non-seasonal, product relying on a base that is seasonal must be problematic at times yeah it's just so it's unpredictable um you just never know um you know that the wild rose has been our number one product in the portfolio at 38 percent of our sales for two years and now the bold red is leading um and the rose is equal with the lively white but the daring dry is more popular in australia than it is in the uk and you just, you know, it changes year on year. So you just have to have an abundance of stock on hand. Um, mm. And I was talking to Jamie Duff, who started Stolen Rum um, the other week on LinkedIn, because I have a group on there called 
rogue business models. Um, and it just shares all the insights to help actually get a business moving like this. And he said, oh, you know, you should really produce your product based on maybe a three months of supply. I said, well, that only really works in spirits because if you're waiting for wine on a harvest, you have to commit that wine six months out and then you've got the wine in the month of that harvest. So you kind of have to blend and bottle at that time. Um, So so there's so many things to juggle. Um, And, you know, I think as as a business and a person, I've only just got to the other side, the right side of all those learnings to be able to look back at it. Um, you know, definitely some very uh, hot moments, challenging days where you just look at it and go, why am I doing this? <laughs> but but we're, you know, we're doing it. We're in some beautiful markets now and people are recognizing that vermouth is changing and vermouth has had a huge resurgence and low alcohol is changing. And I think the organic move will be the next piece that lifts the brand in another way. July, we'll be launching into Australia as our first market with our organic wine base and a new bespoke bottle. So stay tuned. Ah, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I do. It's the first time we've talked about it, or I've talked about it. Um, we, well, I just kind of, you know, we started seeing this trend of the low al- al- alcohol aperitifs and vermouth being more of a balance in cocktails and, you know, brands evolve. Um, we were coming up to, so I started looking at it about two years ago. So, you know, it's just say 2016, 17. So we're about five years old. And um, I just thought, you know, what, what about taking the wine base to organic wine? Because there's an abundance of organic wine now available. Um, we found a couple of amazing partners, um, which we'll reveal later on, who have been, you know, uh, looking after their land and, and growing organic grapes for the last 40 years on both vineyards. So we, we are going to hang our hat on um, a specific vineyard moving forward or two specific vineyards. Um, yeah. And... That means that we you know that we'll be able to get our liquid to the highest level we can um, whilst maintaining exactly the same recipes and sugar levels and everything else. Um, but we also wanted to come up with our own bottle. And so I took inspiration from vintage um, carafes for Armagnac, Cognac and wines. So playing on this whole grape spirit or grape vessel that you might have at mm. a dinner party or at home or on your cocktail um, trolley. And so we've got this beautiful bottle that we've designed um, with a couple of um, uh, embosses with, you know, brand pieces on there. Um, uh, still in the 500 mils um, and they're six packs and they, the whole range will come out in, uh, in that packaging and with that wine base at the end of July in Australia. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and having me, um, having me here. A very big thank you to Mark from Regal Rogue. And thanks to you for listening to the very first episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. If you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.